Due to an error in communication, of which I'm certain I'm personally responsible, I didn't discover I was going to be here this morning until uh, Jackie woke me up and said, where's the notes? That was Friday. So uh, I knew pretty much what I was going to address because it was something that's been on my heart. Um, based upon a recent conversation I had, uh, flying airplanes, which... Uh, you know, you're sitting in a, basically a closet with somebody for hours, hours on end, so, you know, you, you, you tend to talk. Uh, usually not about politics or matters of faith. Uh, that's something you avoid generally because if there's a contention in opinions, it can lead to a crew uh, breakdown in, in communication and uh, cohesiveness. So it's not a subject that usually comes up, but occasionally it does, particularly when you're pretty sure that the person you're with is like-minded then it, it can be fruitful and beneficial. Because like I said, there are hours where you're basically just monitoring the machine going from point A to point B. It's a tough job, you know, but it's okay if you can, uh, can hack it. But uh, anyway, um, I had a conversation with a gentleman that I was flying with. Uh, I knew him fairly well, know him very well. And he was, uh, complaining is not the right word, but there was another uh, captain that he had flown with and flies with from time to time who I also know, who is an ardent atheist. And he likes to bring up uh, politics and religion. Uh, he likes to pester people with it. And so this individual that I was talking to didn't really know how to answer it um, because he's not a person of strong faith. He's a, probably not a person that attends church that much, but is a, is a believer. And so what I answered... What I would say to this individual, um, I didn't give a lot of the background, but it's based on the verses in which I'm going to share today. And so it's a tool that I think, and I'll, I'll come back to this conversation and, and tell you what I told him, summarizing this, these passages, but um, it's a tool for those who are here and would like to find a way to find Common ground is not the right word. Find a place that unbelievers can be forced to focus on to see the inadequacy of their, their, their view. Uh, quite simply, logically, non-confrontationally, um, and it's based on logic and fact. It's not something that requires great theological uh, understanding. It's really quite simple. Uh, it's, it's just a real simple message um, so most of you are probably familiar with the passages themselves, um, but it's a tool to use to get people to think about how they think and allow the Lord to do the work. That's, that's really where this is going. Uh, and that's what I, I actually pray. I'm praying for this, this gentleman because uh, he happens to be a very accomplished aviator. He had a terrible uh, aircraft incident a couple of, uh, well, probably just a year ago now, that all the pastors got off a burning airplane. Uh, and he was the captain of that flight. Uh, tragic, tragic, near tragedy. It was moments, seconds from disaster. Uh, so the Lord has preserved him. And I'm praying for his salvation, <laughs> if not to mention the folks that were with him. But he's a, he's a highly accomplished, really smart guy. Um, but having said that, the, the, the question is, what is wrong with us? That's um, the, the, the theme. Now, 
people that don't believe generally don't think anything's wrong with them. Uh, there was a book, this just came to my mind as I was thinking before I came up. Uh, it's a long time ago. I know if you're my age or, or near it, you'll remember the book because it was like a bestseller. It was all over the bookshelves and the guy who wrote it, I remember his last name was Dyer. I never, I didn't write the, read the book, but it was called I'm Okay, You're Okay, which is nonsense. <laughs> None of us are okay. But see, the world thinks, you know, if I'm okay, you're okay, we'll all get along, everything's just fine. It's not, it's not, it's not that way. See, that's the problem. The world thinks everything is just fine, and only apart from the Holy Spirit, you realize, no, it's not fine. Uh, we are broken. We are, we are, there's something wrong with us. And according to, to the Apostle Paul, the one thing that you can boil down to what's wrong with this is we are condemned by God, by virtue of our brokenness. Uh, we are all condemned. We are born condemned into this earth. And the question is, why? The passages I've selected here today are Romans 1.16 uh, through 128. Uh, and so let's look at Romans 1.16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. But the righteous man shall live by faith. This letter that, that Paul is writing to the church in Rome, or churches in Rome more likely, uh, not one big church, but a bunch of little churches, uh, a person that he is, is uh, he's, Writing this, actually, it's interesting, on the occasion, later in the book of Romans, uh, he mentions that Phoebe is bringing the letter. Phoebe, apparently, was traveling to Rome. He wrote this letter to Rome uh, when he was in Chinchria, which is the port little town of Corinth. And he was on his third missionary journey. He's getting ready to go back to Jerusalem, bearing uh, uh, fruits of, of people's produce back to the poorer people in Jerusalem, his intention is to go to Rome. He knows there's, there's a church there. He, uh, there's, there are believers there. There are uh, both Jews and Gentiles there. And he wants to edify them. He wants to bring them up. He wants to solidify their faith. And he wants to write this letter. And the occasion was this woman was going there. And so he wrote this letter to them. And after the introduction, he starts to get into the meat of this. Uh, they, have, they are people of faith. But there is no record at this point of any of the apostles having been to Rome to help nurture and grow and solidify their belief. So this thought that he's, he's talking about the gospel. Now, the word gospel itself is a really interesting word. Um, it's actually a Middle English word that we still carry around. And it comes from an old English word. You're talking Anglo-Saxon type word that was pronounced then good, good spell. And the word good meant good. The word spell didn't mean how you put letters in order, but it meant word. So good word, good news is what it is. And it's, that was translated in King James' time to be gospel, or, which had then changed from good spell over time. But the word gospel itself now means well, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's, no, it means good word. 
And the word in Greek means, take a guess, good word, thank you very much. It's not that, hard. It's not that complicated. But that's where it comes from. It's, it, it's a good word. Uh, and and the, the, uh, the Greek part of it for word uh, is actually the same word, word message is where we get the word angel from. It's transliterated from Greek, angelos. So you can see that it's actually good word, a great message. And so if it's good, why is it good? That's what I said, because we're bad. <laughs> and we're, we have hope. That's why I said, what's wrong with us? We're condemned. And Paul says here that in this good news is power. The word here for power is the same word we get dynamite from in Greek. So it's, it's a power that is humanly unattainable. That's the important part of it. It's, it's given to us power we do not have. And that is to not be bad anymore. Uh, if, we are, if we are not good, if we are condemned, how do we become uncondemned? That's the question. We cannot uncondemn ourselves. We didn't condemn ourselves. We, we, are, are, we condemned ourselves by our own acts, but we cannot undo that. And so uh, that's the good news. It, the, the good news of God is for this purpose of salvation. And the order is important, not, not to the subject of this morning, but how did the Lord approach the earth it, with, with uh, reformation, with a, a, a new way? He did it to his people he chose. And why did he choose the Jews? Because they were the most numerous? Because they were the best? No, because they were the least. They were, they were the most insignificant people group he could find on planet Earth, I think. Uh, and, but he used his power through the most insignificant people. That's how he works in us. He, you, the greatest thing you'll accomplish for him is in your weakest place. Um, if you do it on your own strength, if you have some uh, giftedness and you accomplish something for spiritual purposes, that's one thing. But the thing that stands out is the thing you really are bad at. The thing you are not gifted in that turns out for incredible use to his purposes. That's his power through you. That's what we should seek. That's what we should want. But in it, in this good news, the righteousness of God is revealed. The good news itself reveals his righteousness. What righteousness do we have? None. Um, and it's revealed, and this awkward little phrase here from faith to faith is really quite interesting. It's translated, literally in Greek, if you look at it, it it's, it's out of faith into faith. It's, it's a weird kind of thing. It, it, it's kind of funny. And some translate it uh, to, as a, in a way of like from faith first to last. Or this, it's, a, it's like faith begets faith. Faith feeds upon faith. Faith produces faith. It's like exercising a muscle uh, in the gym. Uh, that muscle helps build muscle as you add weight and this kind of thing. It's, the, it's a, a practice of faith brings greater faith. And the, the quote here that, uh, that Paul uses is from Habakkuk, Habakkuk 2.4, which I wanted to read as well. Uh, this is actually quoted, Paul quotes it in Galatians, I think, and the writer of Hebrews quotes it in his book as well. Uh, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. Now, how many are righteous? Let's go look at Psalms. One, Psalms 14, verses 1 to 3. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. 
They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have all become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. So that's our problem. Our problem is that none of us are any good at all. Uh, in fact, we are, at our core, we're born, unfortunately, broken. And we are condemned by virtue of our brokenness. Uh, Paul is going to tell us what that looks like. And looking at it will help us to understand. Uh, but the, even though this starts off uh, rather uh, badly, uh, in, in the way I'm phrasing it, it ends in victory for those who trust him and his resolve and his power through his good news. And here's how we, here's how we fail. And if you're honest with yourself, and this is, this is where I, I'm bringing this message from the perspective of not just for a believer recognizing this in you, but if you have not believed, if you have not understood these truths, examine yourself for what Paul says is true of you. Uh, because all of us, if we're honest, know we're not who we need to be. Uh, we're not, even though we may be redeemed, we are not the people we would like to be in function, in, in reality. We have moments of all of these things in our lives. Um, and, and, but we have... We have we have hope in him. Um, but the opposite, the problem here is that, and, and by my version of scripture here has this next section titled Unbelief and Its Consequences. What's interesting about unbelief is it begets at least two things, unrighteousness and ungodliness. The, 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 two, it's the opposite sides of the same coin. And the whole process, the whole concept of of not having, of being condemned, and unrighteousness and ungodliness comes from unbelief. The one leads to the other. So the resolve is to believe. Why don't, why don't you believe? That's really where, where Paul is going. This, he's, he's leading into um, this thing. And there's three sections he looks at. How is it that people fail to believe? There's three different areas here. Uh, the first one is intentionally ignoring God's truth. Uh, this is classic unbelief, and it's intentionally done. That's the point. Uh, and let's look at these verses. Uh, this is going to be uh, verse 18, actually, just this first verse. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. He's going to tell us specific ways here, coming up, about specific ways in which human beings intentionally suppress the truth. The, the, uh, the main thought here is that we do it on purpose. We do it on purpose. And we do it on purpose because if we realize the truth, we would be accountable to that truth. So it's much easier and it's much the easiest path is to just say it doesn't, it's not true, it doesn't matter. 
even if it's true, I, I don't know enough about it. Uh, I, I, I just can't know it. And so I'm not responsible for that information. That, that's it, but it's an intentional suppression of the truth. That's the point. Paul writes elsewhere in Ephesians 5, 6. He says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. God made man in his own image. It's the only creature that's mentioned in Scripture. Human beings are made in his image. Angels are not mentioned to be made in his image. Uh, Satan himself is not made in the image of God. The angel Gabriel is not made in the image of God. Human beings are made in the image of God. Scripture also tells us that we will judge angels. How worthy in God's plan are we as his creatures? Do we ever think about that? Then how do we act? See the tragedy, that's, that's what I'm trying to convey, is the depth of our depravity is such that we were made for such incredible purpose and so miserably failed. Um, I, I know I'm beating you up, I'm beating myself up, because I'm talking to myself here. Um, but we, we are in a terrible place, I'm talking about as a race, as, as a, as, and by the way, commercial break. This is, this is my own little thing. It drives me crazy. There's only one race. Hello? <laughs> we are all ethnically related. We know for a scientific fact now, by DNA, we have a common male and female ancestor. How many races does that produce? One. Uno. Okay. So, we are not racially divided. That's the one thing we've got in common. We've got ethnicity. We've got language. We've got culture. There's plenty of things that divide us. Race isn't one of them. So, shut up about race, please. See, the one thing we got in common. Let's, can, we go, can we agree on that? Thank you very much. Commercial breakover. All right. So, um, the second part is this. This is, where it really, this is where the rubber meets the road. Intentionally ignoring God's revelation. Now, in theology, there's two kinds of revelation. There's special revelation and there's natural revelation. The special one is God's word, God's revealed word, God revealing himself. Uh, in supernatural ways to his creatures. The other one is by what he's made. That's where, that's where the rubber meets the road. This is where anyone that has you know, reasonable mental capacity can see uh, what's made, what's done, the magnificence of it. Uh, Paul says here, and these are verses 19 to 20, because... This is, they suppress the truth and righteousness, comma, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through that which has been made, so they are without excuse. The very creation in which we walk, talk, chew gum, breathe air in, scream creator. Or, the organization of the universe, the vastness of it, the, the balance of it, any way you measure it. There's people that have measured the intricate ratios of chemicals in the universe that if they vary by this, the tiniest, most minute particles of it, the whole thing doesn't work. The balance is mind-numbingly unbelievable. And yet, the smartest of the scientists will say, well, it just happened. 
It's just chance. When does ever, when do, you don't want to be too smart to figure this out, but if you took, um, I don't know, a bunch of marbles of different colors and you shook them up <laughs> and you poured them out on the floor, do they come out in some kind of order? Do they, they, they draw a shape for you? Uh, that's randomness. Random, randomness does not organize. It, it, and there's the old adage my dad taught me when I was a kid, because he was trying to get me to do my homework and stuff, is that you can't get something from nothing. Do we all, do, can we all agree to that? You don't get something from nothing. Well, I would suggest to you that the universe is something. <laughs> it's a big something. Did it come from nothing? The answer clearly is no. So, where did it come from? Does that not say, does that not say anything to anybody? It came from a creator? I mean, it's obvious. To deny it is intentional. That's the point. It's the intentional denying of what is patently obvious. The universe we live in was created and designed. It functions in order and it follows certain things called, oh yeah, they're called laws. What are scientific laws? They're things that always work. That's the, that's the definition of a scientific law. It always has to work or it's not a law. It's a theory that then, when it always works, it becomes a law. There's, there's several of them. Law of thermodynamics and the law of gravity. All these things, they always work. The order is always there. And order doesn't come from disorder. The orderer is responsible for the order. Who among us is the orderer? None of us. So why do we not, talking about human beings, why do we not acknowledge the basic simple truth that there is an order, there is a creator, there is a maker? Because why? Somebody help me out here. Why don't we want to do that? We would have to be obedient to that. We'd have to find the purpose in that creator, not in our own little desires. Um, Job, Job spoke of this. Job has a great passage of this. this uh, Job chapter 12, and this is verse 7, 7 to 13. But now ask the beasts, and let them teach you, and the birds of the heavens, and let them tell you, or speak to the earth, and let it teach you, and let the fish of the sea declare to you, who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this. I mean, if the ants in your yard know that God has provided for them, what did Jesus say about the sparrows? He's talking about, this con the context of this case was worry. What do you worry about stuff for? Do the birds worry about their food? Do they worry about a nest? Do they worry about what's going to happen tomorrow? No, they don't. So why do we worry? Because we don't trust God. We don't acknowledge God. And even the, the bugs know it. You know, the, the beasts of the field know it. The, uh, the, the, the consequence of this, the next phase of it, is, is that because of our intentional desire not to acknowledge the Creator, we then have to fill the void. There's a void there. So what do we do with not being willing to acknowledge that there's a creator whom, to whom we're responsible, 
and for whose purposes we were created. We don't want to find that out. Let's fill that void with something else. And we, we intentionally ignore the glory that is due to God. Uh, these are verses 21 through 23. For even though they knew God, and he's already made the point, they know God because you can't deny God. Rationally, you can't do it. But so they know there's a God inside. They did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they become fools and exchanged the glory of an incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed creatures uh, and uh, four-footed animals and crawling creatures, reptiles, snakes. Uh, when I was speaking about one of the church, churches, I forget now which one, it was uh, Thyatira, I believe, that was, had the monstrous health spa uh, dedicated to the Asclepios, the god of healing, which is a snake. <laughs> That's where the, the, the poster for ambulances comes from, the snake wrapped around a stick in the medical practice. That's a pagan symbol, for goodness sakes. But the people then, see, they were dumb. They were dumb. They worshipped, you know, statues and emperors and all that kind of stuff. What do we, we're, we're, we're so far, we don't need that anymore. Who do, what do we worship now? Somebody help me out. What do we worship? Primarily ourselves, don't we? Idols. What kind of idols? What, what fills your attention? College football, maybe, you know, on Saturday? Uh, but, you know, in other words, we, we arrange priorities in such a way. We look back at, at the, the pagan people that, that Paul was dealing with and think of them, just, we, we have taken what they did and made it worse because it's now acceptable. It's expected to ignore God in your life. Uh, and so uh, anything that fills that void, anything that gives you Meaning and purpose. The, the, the world is full of literature on finding meaning and purpose. That book I mentioned earlier, I'm okay, you're okay. Let's all just pat our backs and tell us how fine we are. Um, this is all replacing the relationship we're supposed to have with God. There's a million ways to do it. The um, uh, Ephesians, again, Paul, Paul's writing. He, he tends to write um, about the same theme in different ways to different people. This, the, multiple times. He talks in Ephesians about some of these things. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 24, I think it is. Uh, so, uh, this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer, just as Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind. That describes the humans today just as well, the futility of our minds being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. I just looked this up this morning because it, I was thinking about this, and uh, I highlighted, and I'm not sure I got every one, but I was looking at Exodus and Pharaoh. When Moses was going to Pharaoh, and he says, I'm going to bring this plague, and then at the end of it he goes, and Pharaoh hardened his heart. Or God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Or his heart was hardened. There's those three versions, and there are multiple times, and there was, I counted 11 of them. And Pharaoh apparently was pretty, pretty self-reliant. He was pretty sure that if he got by this one, he'd be okay the next time. Uh, rather stubborn man. 
But um, the concept of the hardness of the heart is a, is a scary thing, and it's going to be the next section we get into because uh, it's related to that. One of, one of my greatest fears, and it's not a rational fear, it's an irrational fear, well, is that I would mess up so bad that God would let me go. He's promised he won't do that, but the thought of it is frightening, isn't it? What if God said, all right, I've had enough, I'm going to let you go, and go to wherever you fall to, because that's what is frightening, but that's what has happened to those who don't know him. Think about that for a minute. He hardened Pharaoh's heart. What's the difference between Pharaoh hard, hardening Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh hardening his own heart? They're really the same thing. It's two sides of the same coin. If you have a hardened heart, it comes by virtue of your unbelief, of your unrighteousness, of your unfaithfulness. Uh, and it's a natural product of that. The... Uh, Hardest of the heart in 19, and they having become callous because continuous unbelief, continuous unrighteousness develops a callous, like your hands develop callous by uh, swinging an axe without gloves. You'll, you'll get blisters and sore, and pretty soon calluses are, are, are if you have, really have calluses, you'll notice that I have nice smooth hands because I have not, I've not had to pound things with my hands for a living. But when you do have calluses, like uh, guitar players, right, guys? What happens to the calluses on your finger? They don't hurt anymore when you play the strings, do they? They get numb. That's what happens to your spirit. When you continually live in sin, you are numb to your depravity. Um, and have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with, and with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in, uh, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of the deceit, and you have been renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. The righteousness of God is imparted into you, not your own righteousness. So... Um, the bottom line here, just to boil down these three points, is that unbelief is what leads to, what leads, brings us to condemnation. Now, Paul's going to tell us next, what are the results of condemnation? What happens to those who are condemned? Which is all of us, unfortunately, uh, as we're born. I combined, there's actually three points here. I combined the first two into one because they're, they're all the same basic theme. Um, I'm going to read through these, and I'm not going to comment them on much. Um, if you're an adult in the room, you'll get what's going on. It's basically, boil it down, we are, we, one of the things that happens to us when God lets us go um, is that we are, we are abandoned to lust. And that can be any kind of lust. Uh, this one's a little more focused than that. But it's the desire for what you want when you want it. That's basically lust. Uh, I think it was Peter that said, he boiled down the, the garden uh, to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Those three things. That sums up sin, sin generally. Uh, it boils down to where you go when you are unrighteous and, and, and unbelieving and ungodly. It's those things. This is where, you, this is where gravity pulls you, if you will. Um, and 
This is Romans 1, 24 to 27. Therefore, and that therefore is is from before, the, the passages which told us about our blindness to to God's truth. Therefore, God gave them over to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who was blessed forever. Amen. The creature? Us? Who do we worship? As Brother Steve reminded us last week, it's not about me. But why is it always about me? I don't know. I think I've got a problem. That's one thing. I, I, when I figured that out, I, I, that's why I say it over and over again. I have, to talk, I have to remind myself constantly. You know, it's really not about you, Bill. Um, I hate to tell you this. Oh, that's right. Sorry, Lord. <laughs> but that's that's my own personal struggle. Maybe maybe you're with me. Maybe you're with me in that struggle. Maybe I'm all alone. I don't know. But I, I have to remind myself constantly. It's not about me. Um, but that's what we do. We make it about us. Uh, but it's about the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And amen is Greek for amen. That's, what, that's, that's comes from where it comes from. We've carried that on all this time. But it means so be it. Uh, and it, it's an affirmation. It's agreeing. So be it. That's true. And for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. This is where it happens. See, we, we, we get left to go, and then we go into degrading areas. Their women exchanged their natural function for that, which is unnatural, and the same way also men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned with desire towards one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their due persons the due penalty of error. And so this abandonment to uh, lust was common then, it's common now, and it's a classic Footprint, if you will, of one who is being unrighteous and ungodly and unbelieving. A believing person does not do these things. Is it possible for a believing person to do these things? Yes. It is, unfortunately. But they do not remain in those things if they're a believing person. That's the key. They will find themselves, much like um, the parable of the, the rich young man who, who, who came to himself in a pigsty. <laughs> you know, when you find yourself in that pigsty, you know where to go. Back to dad. Back to father. Uh, we're not immune to mistakes as believers, but we know where to go. That's the difference between us and the unrighteous and unbelieving who do not know where to go. That's what our job is, to help our fellow human beings or our unrighteous and unbelieving who don't know him, don't know where to go. And sometimes by the grace of God, the circumstance which they find themselves makes them willing to hear. Unfortunately, the hardness of hearts are difficult to penetrate. Um, the next passage is not a slide because I forgot to give it to Jackie, but it's, it's verse 28. I'll read it to you. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to, to a depraved mind to do things which are not proper. So the mind becomes depraved, and the outcome of one's actions become depraved, and they're completely ungodly, and we are uh, ultimately, unfortunately, our conduct then goes to a place of, of absolute 
um, depravity, <laughs> lack of a better word. And it looks like this. Verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. And although they knew the ordinance of God, those that practice such things are worthy of death. For they do not do the same. They not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. One of the features of sin is that it loves company. And people who are engaged or in sinful activities, or just even in unbelief, which is sinful activity, will find great comfort with one another. Um, they, they, they appreciate having club members in their club. And they'll pat themselves on the back and tell each other it's all okay. This is how, this is how it goes, uh, particularly in our own time, in our own place, uh, how we live. Um, Ephesians 2.3 is a passage I did have and I wanted to look up. Um, Among them, we all too formerly lived in the lust of the flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by, by nature children um, even as the rest. We all come from a root. We all come from a place um, of the same mind as those who are unrighteous and unbelieving. So, Paul's reminding his, his readers here in Ephesus that, you know what, you've come by virtue of the power of God, through the good news, through the pow his power in your life, to be redeemed. But don't forget that you were once one of them. Now, I know some, some people have had the privilege of, of having a, being a child in church and never really straying that far off the reservation. Uh, I was not one of those people. I strayed off the reservation uh, and had a marvelous time doing it. Uh, whoever tells you that sin is, not, sin is not fun would be lying because otherwise people wouldn't be so attracted to it. But by the power of God in my life, I realized that I was unrighteous and unbelieving and he brought me home. Uh, but Paul was reminding us of that there. First uh, Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, or homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor the drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5. But realize this that in the last days, difficult times will come. Now, I don't know how close we are to the last days. We're studying Revelation now. We talk about that a lot. I don't know how close we are. But see if any of these things are going on now. Just pick one or two that maybe are. Okay, they all are. I'll, I'll, I'll cheat and tell you ahead of time. For men will be lovers of self, 
lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, oh, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godless, godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. Uh, the time and place in which we live, unfortunately, is full of this conduct. As full as it could possibly be, it seems to me. And if, if it gets worse, which the word tells us it will, I, it's going to be bad. Um, but to go back to, to the, the gentleman that I was mentioning, who's an atheist. Atheists, an unbeliever, this is, this is, this is, I, I'm just, I'm a simple guy. I like to boil things down to, to like a little bite. <laughs> and, and based upon what, what Paul has told us here, it really boils down to a simple thing. Is that most people that, particularly a man, a, a smart guy like the pilot I was telling you about, but even, even anyway, you can boil it down to this. There either is a God or there's not a God. If there is a God, shouldn't you be responsible to that God? It's, it's really that simple. And so then they'll go, no, no, he, does, he doesn't care about me. That's usually what you'll get. It doesn't matter. He doesn't, not a personal God. So, or even better yet, if they go, well, it's all, it's all chance anyway. It doesn't really matter. This is, this is, this is how you approach it. You ask them, this is tough, this is tough, this is hard to do, and I, I, I say this, actually, I, I learned this thing, I learned this from Dr. Francis Schaeffer in, in one of his books, but, and he said, he said, when he wrote this, he said, be very gentle with this, because it can be devastating to people, because people who have built their lives on a lie, when the, when the bubble bursts and they realize they're living a lie, it, it's, it's hard to deal with. But he said a particular intellectual that he was talking to, he asked him if he loved his children. And the answer, what would the answer to that be? Of course, of course I love my children. He goes, why do you love your children? They're my children. I, I, I love them. He said, well, if what you say, you have said is that it's all by chance, you, you do realize that that love is only, you know, corpuscles in your brain uh, manipulating your thoughts so that you'll, you'll, have, you'll maintain a family. It's, it, it's really, it's a reaction to evolution. It, it doesn't mean anything. It's just brain chemistry. It's not really love. And he said, the guy was like stunned. He, he couldn't answer that. He didn't know what it meant. Because if it's not true, if God is not true, then all of those things are also not true. Chance does not beget love. Chance does not beget the kind of relationships which we live and thrive in every day. So the point is that we intentionally suppress those truths. And the answer is, if you are suppressing those truths, you better let go and let God pull you out of it. Because there's no other way. You are not going to be able to grab hold of God and pull, be pulled out of the mire. Only God, by His power, His dynamic, dynamite power, through His Word, will pull you out from your despair. That's the message. It's a simple message. It boils down to that simple. 
There is no other answer. Paul says that a simple-minded person can know it. And the most amazing thing is, the simple-minded person gets it quicker than the smart guy. Because things are upside down in the kingdom of God. Uh, I wanted to go back in closing, because uh, we did look at Ephesians just verse 2, verse, just verse 3. Uh, and I cut it off there intentionally at the time because I wanted to um, go through the rest of that passage because the conclusion of it is not quite so stark as the beginning. Among them, I'll start again at the beginning of that. Among them, we too, we too all formerly lived in the lust of the flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love for which he, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in him. And one last thing I wanted to read. I just came on this this morning. I don't know this individual. I meant to look him up. Somewhere I'll find his name. William Barclay. Anybody familiar with him? William Barclay? Barclay? Uh, he was writing about, what's interesting, the, the Greek word for righteousness and justice are all the same root word, very much like the same root for uh, faith and belief are the same root word in Greek. Um, they're sort of uh, very much related. Righteousness and justice are together. If you are a just person, you are righteous. Unjust, unrighteous. Um, but William Barclay writes about the word that is translated righteousness. And, it's, and, it, and it, this is what he said. I'll just read it because it, it really brings a richness to the meaning here. All verbs in Greek which end in OO always mean to treat or account or reckon a person as something. This particular word ends in OO in Greek. If God justifies a sinner... It does not mean that he finds reason to, pr to prove, like in a forensic or legal manner, that he was right, far from it. It does not mean, at this point, that he makes the sinner a good man. It means that God treats the sinner as if he had not been a sinner at all. That's what that word means. It means it's as if you had never sinned. That's an, important, that's an important thing to understand because when we went back to the difficult passage earlier, from faith to faith, this is where it makes sense. That it's not anything we've done. He's done it on our behalf and we can't maintain it. That does not mean that we live how any way we see fit because then we are being unrighteous and, and, and unbelief. Uh, and that's not a place for us. We're not home there anymore. So I would encourage you that if you've not considered these simple truths and applied them to your life, do so. If you know somebody who doesn't know these simple truths, approach them with loving kindness and show them 
that there is a God, you cannot deny it, and you are accountable to that God, and let the Holy Spirit work. 